The Worker Learner Podcast is brought to you by the Professional Learning Hub, Griffith University's platform for executive and professional education. Bringing together the expertise of Griffith University's academics and research centres, our professional learning is designed to deliver creative solutions for the workplace of tomorrow. Whether you are looking for opportunities for yourself or your team, we have you covered. Hi, I'm Associate Professor Ernest Vu, and I'll be your host uh, for this episode. I work in the School of Information Communication Technology, and the focus of my research is cybersecurity of industrial control systems and critical infrastructure. A lot of my research is about thinking of ways to detect cyber attacks on these complex systems, and then to develop ways to stop these attacks being effective. Today, my guest is Graham Edwards a detective senior constable from the financial and cybercrime group at the Queensland Police. Graham's worked on fraud and cybercrime incidents for over 20 years now, um, and he has lots of war stories to tell. Cybersecurity is an interesting topic that will sooner or later affect everyone, if it hasn't already. So our chat today is timely. I'm interested in what Graham has learnt over the course of his career, and given all the cybersecurity threats facing society, I'm hoping you can help allay some of our concerns or at least put us in a better position to mitigate and deal with what is inevitably coming. Graham, welcome. Thank you. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you do? The Financial and Cybercrime Group is a group of specialist detectives who investigate financial and cybercrime in all its different forms, whether it's technology or whether it's more traditional based, the deceptions. We did a lot of work into the scam industry. When that first started blowing up, the, the general knowledge of the scam industry through the internet really came in around 2005. So we spent a lot of time working and understanding that and passing on information. But investigators do the traditional investigative work, as you would see across so many different areas of the service, but the main specialist is in the financial cyber area. Okay. There seems to be a, a data hack uh, of some kind every other day now, especially after the, the Optus attack and then the uh, Medibank incidents. Um, so how bad is it out there in terms of, of cybercrime? Should we be panicking? Um, well, panic's not going to really help. Uh, as far as the number of cyber attacks, I don't think can ever really get a clear statistic that says in this particular financial year this number of attacks occurred. The simple reason often people do not know they're being the subject of a cyber attack. The gap between when the attack occurs and when it's identified is quite common up to around nine months. Okay. So you could have been hacked last month and you don't find about it until mid next year if you even find out about it at all. You have a advanced persistent threat, which is the criminals get into the network and they stay there. They don't just take the data and disappear. They stay there to monitor what's going. They might be in a particularly interesting business or organisation, for example. So they want to capture the new intellectual property or data or communication as it's generated through the year. So they think there's no point in leaving. They'll stay there and just monitor uh, there's a lot of cybercrime going on there because it's basically it's easy to commit. A lot of it is console operated. You do not have to be a skilled professional. And the consoles 
are legitimate cybersecurity products. It's like the car misused in a criminal act. The problem is not with the car, it's the person behind it. So there's a lot of technology out there for cybersecurity professionals, but the bad guys have taken that technology and turned it around to use for the wrong purposes for what it was designed. So we'll never actually get the full statistics, but it's one of those areas that when you go onto the internet, it would be helpful if you stopped and paused and understood where you're going. Mm -hmm. There is only one internet. It's the workspace of the criminal. It is where they are most comfortable. And when you go online, you really need to have a cyber focus, security focus. Is my operating system up to date? Is my email secure? Is my mind attuned to not click on links or open attachments and emails I've received? Because something like 90-odd percent of the biggest cyber attacks in the world have come through email clicks. And it's just going through a list today of international cyber attacks. It's just amazing the number of started through click on the link on an email. Yeah. So um, what are the latest trends that you and your team are seeing? I know that we, we talk about uh, cybercrime, but I think uh, you would probably be seeing a lot of scams that are associated with, um, uh, with you know, cyber as a pathway in. Um, in particular, I think you had mentioned uh, before we started the concept of an insider threat. Can you, can you tell us a bit about that as well? An insider threat is a person within an organisation who deliberately or accidentally becomes a threat to the organisation. A person might be highly stressed or under the pump at work. You look at, say, the accounting people coming towards the end of the financial year. Everything has to be closed off and done by certain dates and reports have got to be generated in a timely fashion. This is just an example, and these people are really under the pump for work. And it's easy in a moment of weakness to just click on a link without thinking and not realising you've now opened the pathway. It was accidental, there was no malicious intent, but the person made a mistake, and everybody, we've all made mistakes. But again, on the inside of threat, you've also got other people who are a threat to the organisation for the wrong purposes. And the reason is that is unique to them. Why a person becomes an insider threat might make no sense to you at all, but it makes enough sense to them to commit a crime. One particular instance was a gentleman who left an organisation in a uh, rather heated exchange, very heated exchange, and before he left he took millions of dollars worth of intellectual property and emailed it to his cloud account because he was going to go work for a competitor and he thought this would be helpful. Uh, he was a good employee, he was well liked, well respected until something went on and he became a threat to the organisation before he left, he took all the IP. This is not an uncommon occurrence. So the insider could also be a person who's been a long trusted employee and for some reason it could be a gambling problem, uh, they could have an addiction, they could have financial problems, they might have been looked over for a promotion or something. There's something similar to that and their attitude changes. Now the biggest problem there is they are inside the firewall of the organisation. They have legitimate access to the data, intellectual property and the resources of the system. That is their job. And they have this information, they have access to it and as their career develops, their attitude changes, their motivation changes, 
their relationships with the organization change, and they decide they will profit, especially if a person who has a financial, pressing financial problems, and we've seen a lot of that over the years. People are in desperate states, and unfortunately, desperate people sometimes make the decision which catches up with them later. Yeah. So how do you, I mean, I suppose turning around now, we, we talked about, you know, people committing the crimes, but how does, as a, you know, a law enforcement, um, how do you go about catching these criminals? Um, I guess there's two different types, right? There's the people on the inside and, mm-hmm. and then there's people on, on the outside. Which are the ones that you see the most and how difficult is it to... Well, the insider leaves fingerprints all over the place as far as their what, what they do. They have lawful access and they might ex- extract data from a server, from a folder into an external drive. And that might be unique to them. You might have an organisation that has, let's just make up some names, a hard drive. You only use Toshiba external hard drives. And for some reason, someone's put it onto a Western Digital. No disrespect to these companies. But they've just taken these. They've put it over there. So when you're doing an audit, you think, hang on, we don't have Western Digital's hard drives. Why has someone done that? And then you have a look, hang on, why has they taken all the start and put on external drive because they've got remote access in the cloud they don't need a copy of it and yet they've taken a terabyte of external data for example so you, it's like anything you start at your basics and then you follow the breadcrumbs and see where the breadcrumbs lead you and the lead usually leads you to where follow their footsteps and some of these people are very very clever and very aware and others just make no attempt to cover the tracks for reasons, again, which are unique to them. Sometimes they're so focused on getting whatever they want, or they don't understand the security systems in the background, the logging, etc. So that's interesting. On the cyber front, it is can be very difficult because the technology is all on to the advantage of the criminals. We've seen cases where cyber criminals have hacked in and done what's called anti-forensics, They've gone in and deleted all the log files. So it tells you exactly when the crime was committed because all the files back from that particular moment. But it makes it very hard to do a network analysis and understand where in the pathway, how they got in and what they did, how they traversed through the system. Did they escalate privileges? So again, that's following the breadcrumbs, but unfortunately with the technology, what it is, multi-jurisdictional, using VPNs, using compromised computers. And there's no easy way to do this, especially when you're doing multi-jurisdictional throughout the world. Yeah, because I think uh, you've told me stories about um, uh, about criminals that have uh, perpetrated romance scams and other kinds of things, and they're from Nigeria or mm. from Russia or, or places like that. And um, what, what are the chances of actually tracking down and, and, and catching these people? It is very difficult because it, these people are spread around the world. And we think of these sort of scams, a romance scam, as a one-to-one, one offender to one victim. Uh, I can think of cases that we worked on when you've had about 15 offenders onto one target. And this was a high, not particularly high-value target, uh, but they end up taking 100% of everything this person had. And you had different people playing different roles, and they're all authenticating each other. What they said, yes, this person is who they say, they're a wonderful person, I've known them a long time. They will have respectable positions throughout society, wherever they are in the world. They will present well, communicate well, 
They will have done their analysis on the individual that they're targeting. They will have gone through their social media. They'll understand what makes a person tick. Particularly in the early days of communication, they will data mine the individual through communication as much as they can. Mm -hmm. And they will make a playbook so they know all the little nuances of a person. And they share that between them. We've seen the communication between the criminals. Okay. before talking about sharing information and uh, assisting each other how to get more money out of the target. So that's a profession. These are very clever criminals, unfortunately, and they leave a real trail of uh, devastation. Yeah, because you, you see that with the victims, isn't it? It's like, yeah. um, I, I, I remember you telling me that there have been cases where where you've actually confronted the victims and told them, you know, don't, don't send the money into to these people because they're not they're not real but um but they still keep sending the money don't they well people say it's real because they've communicated with them sometimes for 12 to 18 months sometimes longer and they've got a financial as well as an emotional and so for an outsider to come in and say well we know for a fact this person is not real mm. well, they say well it is real i've been speaking to them for the last couple of years yeah but even so, though you're the police right and yeah. you've got authority and like you've checked it all out it's a tough message we bring, yeah. and it's very difficult for a person to accept. We understand that, and we certainly do not judge. We want to help these people to understand the environment they're in and how to get away. The people that commit these crimes, unfortunately, are very, very clever, and they're very successful. They know how to do what's called divide and conquer. Mm -hmm. They identify you as an individual and who your support people are your family, your colleagues, your best friends, your relatives, everyone like that. And then before they really heavily get into the crime, they try and chip away the credibility of your relationship with these people. So you see uh, parents broken away from their, break away from their children or people break away from their lifelong very, very best friend, slowly chipping and undermining. So the only point of reference and trust they have the victim has is with the scammer and in the end the victims can not always turn quite aggressive defending the fraudster from their families it's a form of social engineering and the poor old victim doesn't understand the game that's being played because they they've never seen it they've never heard it they've never experienced dealing with a person like this before and it's absolutely horrific for the poor old victim mm -hmm. they don't understand the crime that has been committed against them so it's an education process and certainly providing every support you can to understand that uh, you know, human dynamics are very difficult and uh, it's a very frightening scenario for the poor old victim. And, and we do everything we can through victim support to help these people. And these victims can come from all walks of life, isn't it? They're not, they're not weak-minded people, are they? No. They, they could be anybody, right? No, humans have vulnerabilities. We all have vulnerability of some sort. And it's just a matter of them striking the right vulnerability at the right moment. Uh, you go on the dating sites. The criminals are all, they like, they like the dating sites because it tells people who you are, where you are in life, where you've come from, where you're going to, what you are looking for. And they'll do a process called mirroring. If you're at this stage of your life, having come from this background, heading, wanting to head into this area, they will mirror a response or a profile to match what you are looking for in your life experiences. Because immediately you found what you're looking for, somebody roughly like yourself.
And that is the strategy. They'll create a new profile or they'll adapt an existing one and then reach out and start the communication process. But they will research the victim through all forms of social media so they know as much as they possibly can. Wow. Uh, it's, a, it's a lot bigger and deeper than we really think. What? Let's pretend I'm a victim of a uh, cybercrime like this or my friend is or my parents are. What can I do? Where do I go? Who do I um, talk to? Well, you, you make your complaint through cyber.gov.au because if you don't report it, we don't know. Yeah. Uh, there's an organisation called ID Care, idcare.org. It's a not-for-profit that has a lot of resources and skilled people to assist people who are victims of financial crimes. Uh, for example, areas of identity restoration, uh, what do I do now sort of processes. It's a, started off a very small organisation, but it's really growing very quickly now. It's a very successful organisation and does some great work. And they also have trained professionals who will talk to you. So if you need 10 minutes of help, you'll get 10 minutes of help. And I've heard them talk to people for over an hour. Because people need more information sometimes. They don't understand. They need to talk to an experienced person. And ID Care do a fantastic work there. Uh, we refer people back to their financial institutes to say, look, this has happened. Is there any way of tracing the money? Particularly if they've sent money in the last couple of hours. Sometimes money can be traced and stopped. You ring your bank, who rings the bank who it's gone to, and it can suddenly be stopped and held. But that has to be a very fast response. Yeah, because I, I, I guess now that uh, we've had the Optus breach and the Medicare breach, there's a lot of personal information about individuals out there. Do you think the, the scammers will be using that to conduct identity theft and other kinds of scams like you were talking about? Well, does that additional information out there just provide a whole lot more victims to the, uh, to the cyber criminals? It provides more resources to them. They might, they might already have a profile on an individual, but now they've just got some more information. It gives them a little bit more information to work. The criminals will take whatever data is out there, mm-hmm. and they will adapt it as they see fit for their, criminal, their crime type. Uh, criminals specialise in different sorts of crime. Some of them are very, very clever technical people. Mm-hmm. Others are very good social engineers. So they'll take all this information and build it into their crime type and exploit it as they uh, as they can. So we, we talked, uh, I guess, mainly about scammers and things like that, but uh, maybe, maybe we could talk about uh, people who are conducting these frauds on, on purpose. And one, one of the, uh, I'm not sure if you, if you can or if you're allowed to talk about the case, the Tahitian Prince uh, in Queensland um, that happened quite a few years ago now. Mm. But I know that you worked... On, on that case, and that this was a particular person who um, was wanting to, to defraud the system on purpose, wasn't he? Yeah, he, there's a lot of people who worked on that one. He was a person who, he was a very highly respected, trusted person inside of an organisation, and he saw some vulnerabilities in the system, which he exploited very successfully for quite some time. And uh, when he got caught, it was through a very simple check, through doing a... a who owns this company business check through business.gov.au and it came back to him. So that was a horrific portrayal of trust because he was a very highly respected, trusted individual within the organisation. 
And he was kind of a go-to person. If there was a problem in this particular area, you'd go to him because he was very knowledgeable. And he had been in the area for a long time and you know, he he'd built up the database of experience that you would expect being in a team for a long time. But his fraud was carried out because he knew the system, he knew the pathways, he knew the authentication processes, and it worked. Okay. Um, can you tell me how long was he, um, uh, you know, conducting his, his criminal activities? From very distant memory, it was quite a long time. It was okay. this... It was several years. Okay, before he was... Um... He got picked up because uh, there was a rather large transaction that went through, which was red flagged. Okay. But uh, I think that's one of the other things that, um, you know, unless someone from within the organisation contacts the police or mm-hmm. uh, law enforcement, then nothing really can be done to prosecute unless unless the, the people actually uh, you know, take it to the authorities, right? Yeah, the victim organisation has the choice whether they deal with it under criminal law, civil law, or maybe through an employment tribunal. It's up to them. It's their decision. Mm-hmm. When an organisation makes a complaint to police, it goes through the criminal investigation and maybe into the criminal justice system. A lot of organisations do it through the civil courts as well. Okay. They might get an injunction to stop the person using it. If they've gone to work for another organisation, they might get an injunction to say, well, your employee has taken this information, here's an injunction from the court to say this cannot be used. And you know, the new employee might say, I know absolutely nothing about this. What's, what's this all about? And yeah. they generally don't know anything about it. But whichever pathway, some organisations, depending on the nature and the size of the fraud, might just say, uh, might just fire you and go, you will go and... Uh, go through the employment tribunal process, it's up to the employees, but if people don't tell the police, the police don't know. Yeah, yeah. And then they, they're they happy to keep on committing crime somewhere else, I guess. It's... Well, that's happened before. People on bail for fraud, they've been charged, they've got bail. Get a and job what, somewhere else and keep yeah, going. And that's exactly what this person did. They committed more frauds while they were on bail. Wow. So from all your years of experience, could you offer one piece of advice to everyone about cybercrime awareness? Um, you know, what, what would it be if you could tell mums and dads out there one thing? Understand there is only one internet, and the internet that you use is the same one that criminals use. It is a wonderful place, the internet. There's a lot of fantastic information and opportunities you can use for the internet. But unfortunately, as you reach out to the world... It's the opportunity for the world to reach out into your computer. So understand, yes, the internet is a great place, but just understand what you're using. Yeah. So what about for, for a business context? Um, what, was, do you be, what would be your advice for um, uh, a business who's uh, trying to defend against cybercrime? Cybersecurity is not an expense. It is an investment. We have traditionally seen over the generations of internet use, board of directors and senior managers allocate a budget, give it to the IT department and say, make it all safe. But cybersecurity is not a technical solution, it's a human solution. As we mentioned right at the beginning, someone who's under the pump at work, who's working hard, clicks on a link. Everyone in the organisation needs to understand the threat because cyber criminals may target a junior person in the organisation 
to compromise them, to get their foothold before they start escalating privileges and traversing through the network. Cybersecurity is an investment because there's a lot of businesses and organisations no longer present because they were the victim of a cybercrime. Their reputation's been damaged, the business has been destroyed, the data's been encrypted and they can't get it back and the business is no more. These are terrible, terrible stories. So if there's one thing, cybersecurity is an investment and is not just to be left to the designated IT department. That's good to hear, and uh, it's um, words of wisdom there from, from Graham Edwards. Um, I think one of the other things is to ask you where where we can find some good resources. I think you were mentioning before there there are some places online to go to if you've been hacked, but then also general awareness. Cyber.gov.au is from the Australian Cyber Security Centre. They have a lot of very easy to use information on how to secure your devices, two-factor authentication, automatic updates, and all the good stuff. It has been designed for a person who has limited skills, and it's designed for that because we're all different learners. So rather than writing out do this, 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 they have lots of step-by-step guides with images. So when they say, go to your settings, and it shows you an image of where your settings is, open up privacy and it'll show you where on your phone your privacy is. Go to location services and it'll show you the pathway. Photo, photo, photo. And for people like myself who are visual learners, it's a very, very good resource. And they've got about, oh, I can't remember this, a lot of step-by-step guides on how you can secure your computers, your mobile devices, set up two-factor authentication on your social media across all its different platforms, and there's a lot of very good information there. So if you want to think, thinking, maybe I need to do a little bit more work, cyber.gov.au by the, the government is a very, very useful port of call, e-safety commissioner. They've got a lot of fascinating material as well, how to keep people and children safe online. And uh, Graham's been very humble as well. Um, Graham's gotten his PhD, and uh, he's actually written a book called Cybercrime Investigators. And so uh, if you want to find out more about how to investigate cybercrimes and um, to learn how uh, people go about tracking them down and um, uh, and how, you know, digital forensics uh, gets conducted, I highly recommend that uh, that book to you. Um, it's not not very thick, but I think it's it's got a lot of concise uh, information uh, in there, and I uh, highly recommend it to you. So with that, um, I'd like to say thanks, Graham, for putting aside some time today to come and talk to us, and, uh, and uh, thank you for a very educational talk. Thank you for the invitation. Cheers. The Worker Learner Podcast was brought to you by the Professional Learning Hub. Griffith University's platform for executive and professional education.